this is John Shannon with Radio Free Galisteo, and today I am speaking with Jeff Schneider, who is the author of a book called The Serpent Papers. Jeff, interesting name for a book. What's it about, and how did you get there? Well, The Serpent Papers is a novel. It's a historical novel, and it's set at Columbia University amidst the 1972 campus demonstrations, sit-ins, marches, protests, and riots uh, at Columbia against the escalation of the Vietnam War by President Nixon. And the book has a backdrop of 1970s counterculture, drug, sex, rock and roll, and several murders. Mm. It's the story of the protagonist, J.B., was a young man raised in a violent world in the 1960s. He comes to, he chooses to matriculate at Columbia in 1971 rather than join the military. Now he's a Southern boy who comes from a conservative Catholic military family in Virginia. Mm. And he exemplifies the struggles of his generation and the challenges they face balancing patriotism with a rejection of the Vietnam war. So he's sort of caught in the middle. He's every man. And he's, he has to make the decisions a lot of us have made in my generation about that war. When he arrives at university, he's immediately thrust into the anti-war atmosphere there and becomes ideologically trapped between his best friends, uh, his best friends fighting overseas, the loyalty towards his best friend, and his friend is fighting in Vietnam, and the Columbia cauldron of anti-war culture and protest in New York. Uh, when the moral, the quandary of a protracted escalating war comes to a head and with his own conscience and the conscience of the nation on his mind, ratcheting tensions and bullhorns incite students to protest and pro-war and anti-war factions collide in campus riots and JB is forced to make a decision that defines his life in terms of what he will do. So that's the synopsis of the book. And you are a Columbia grad from that era. Yes, I was there in 1932. <laughs> that the riots. So this is a piece of historical fiction, but you witnessed the real thing. So how much of that have you woven into this story? Well, the thing is, no book has ever been written about this. There was a book about 1968 at Columbia. There was an uprising, but it was for totally different reasons. The book was called The Strawberry Statement. The Serpent Papers is about 1972 amidst Nixon's escalation of the war, which included, number one, abolishing the student deferments for the draft. So mm. students were subjected to the draft lottery as non-students were for the first mm. time in 1972. Nixon also widened the war into non-combatant nations, Laos and Cambodia, which uh, had no business being in the war. And he also began bombing, escalating the bombing of Hanoi, uh, which he, all three of which things he had promised he would not do. So, and the reason he did that was to, he was having peace talks with Lee Duc To of North Vietnam in Paris, the famous Paris peace talks for the resolution of the Vietnam War. And Nixon wanted to have leverage over how the United States would end that war and be in a good position at the end of that war. And he felt in order to do that, he was going to do the opposite of seek peace. He was going to escalate the war and to use that as leverage against the North Vietnamese in their negotiating talks. Of course, that didn't work really mm -hmm. too well. And in the process of it, 
in order to achieve, quote, peace with honor. And he, he sacrificed the lives of many more American boys. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I protested against the war, and I feel that this, the Vietnam War is the most significant, significant uh, event of my generation. The war created a rift between two sets of people epitomized by those who fought the war and those who were pro-war and those who were anti-war and protested against it. And there was intolerance on both sides and it ripped the nation apart. Of course, it sounds familiar. It's not much different than what's going on today. Right. Uh, and that makes the book very timely. In addition to the fact that this is the 50th anniversary of the riots at Columbia this spring, mm -hmm. uh, 2022 is the 50th anniversary uh, when the riots occurred on April 25th. The book's object is through this character of JB to heal my generation through a rapprochement, which is basically a, a peaceable understanding to be achieved between all ends, both ends of the spectrum of, of the Vietnam question. Uh, we are still torn over this war. There's still enmity and intolerance. Um, I happen to think that the men who fought in that war were patriots. Uh, they fought in that war on the backdrop of a very frightening Cold War uh, between the Soviet Union and the United States. And it was felt that Vietnam would be a domino, uh, as per the domino theory of, of John Forster Dulles, and that uh, if Vietnam fell, the rest of Southeast Asia would fall. And there was a real uh, tussle over territorial influence between the United States and the Soviet Union. And at the same time, there was an arms race going on and stockpiling of nuclear weapons. And there was an atmosphere of terrible fear starting before the war, into the war, and then enduring after the war somewhat. And so there were reasons to have the war, but uh, it turns out in the end, they were not good reasons. And the escalation of the war by Nixon was not a good idea and sacrificed boys for peace when there was no need. But on top of all this, the men who went to fight were patriots, mm -hmm. I feel. I feel very strongly about that. And I wanted this book to show that end of the spectrum as well. And the, the price that these men paid for going to war and the atrocities they saw is part of the book. It's embodied in the character of Gilly, who's the best friend of the protagonist, JB, who goes to Vietnam. When JB goes to Columbia, Gilly goes to Vietnam and they, they share experiences through mail. And then they meet again at Columbia. Gilly comes to Columbia. And that's when basically all hell breaks loose in the book. So the, I think of those men as patriots. They fought for their country. They followed the leaders and they, they were fighting for the United States in the face of a cold war. And they should be championed and, and, and appreciated for what they did. I was ashamed when my fellow protesters vilified the veterans. And uh, some of them spat on veterans in parades. And it was, to me, it was shameful. It was, I was horrified by that. So I wanted to bring the generation together. That's the object behind the book, and that's the book. Just so that the the, the listeners know, uh, you know, you mentioned you protested against the war, but two things: one, you're you're a you're a doctor, a physician, an MD. Yes. And two, you worked for the VA for about twenty two years. That's exactly right. I. I took care of veterans and I enjoyed doing it. I was a full professor of medicine at university. I mean, I started at the University of Pennsylvania. I went to Wright State University in Ohio, where I did much of my work, research. I was an editor of a journal and so forth. But I also worked in the VA hospitals out of choice. 
I liked working for the veterans. I felt that they could have the best care if I took care of them, and that's what I wanted to give them. It's not the path to making money for a physician, but I my goals were to be a professor and to help veterans, and, and I was able to do that over a 22-year career. I ran an ICU uh, at the VA for 15 years and took care of the very sickest men. But they had other problems. They had psychological problems. I saw all those. I didn't treat those. But I was very dedicated to the men who had fought in the Vietnam War. I felt they were short drifted. I helped where I could. Yeah, I, and I think uh, people on both sides of, of the, the coin uh, would agree with that completely. This is set in 1972, which is two years after Kent State, which was probably a shock. Was that in everybody's mind during these protests as well? Oh, yes. And it was the second anniversary. I think Kent State was May 4th, 1970. And this was the second anniversary. So Columbia's uprising, if you will, uh, in which they took over buildings. They sat in. There was a march of 50,000 people down Broadway to downtown. Columbia's on Broadway. They marched downtown to Times Square in that area. Um, We were very much aware of what had happened in Kent State. Kent State, I think the, the students there were much more innocent than we were. They, they were protesting, but they had no idea about the forces against which they were protesting. The National Guard gathered, but they didn't know what the Guard would do. We were fully aware of what we would face at Columbia in any kind of confrontation. And in fact, when there was a riot at Columbia, I depict that in bo- in the book as factually as I can remember it, because there is no other written account of that hmm. uh, in 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 such an extensive way as I have written it. I wrote exactly what happened, how the troop, how the police troops—they're called the TPF, the Tactical Police Force—how they came into the the quad and how the students were trapped. Uh, three sides were brick buildings all uh, attached to one another, and the fourth side. The TPF came and 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 they charged and it was uh, it was a it was a it was a melee it was a massacre. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we knew it was what could happen, but we did it anyway. And eventually, the president who had called the troop the police in wasn't the police. I mean, the police were doing what the police were expected to do. I mean, this is not an issue about whether the police did the right thing or not. That has nothing to do with this conversation. Mm-hmm. They were called in. They were expected to do what, exactly what they did, and they did it. There weren't any deaths, and there weren't any. Uh, brain injuries or anything like that. But the president of the university and the mayor called them in. And then afterwards, the president apologized, said he would never do it again. And the university was shut down in protest against Nixon. There were no final exams. Classes were all canceled. It was done. Hmm. Um, now, initially, the president of the university, and I was I was thinking about the timeline that you've you've written uh, about the, the, the protest events. I mean, he, he initially brought in the, the, what the initial cease and desist order for the people that were, uh, <laughs> occupying some of the buildings. So he was, I guess, what on board until he saw this violence. Yeah. And I, you know, I consider the university president or any university president to be more, more of a politician than a philosopher. You know, it wasn't that he necessarily saw the violence, I'm sure what he saw was the fact that the violence looked very bad for the university and he happened to be the president. I tend to look at, I'm a, I have a jaded point of view on that. 
so it wasn't it wasn't sympathy for his students student body it was like oh my gosh uh donors are no longer going to well i uh, i can't say it wasn't but i can't uh, i didn't have his mind on that i just that was my guess he may have had a little above well, that's just terribly that. cynical jeff oh dear <laughs> <laughs> let's heal my generation <laughs> This is Radio Free Galisteo. Music and information from the Galisteo Basin. Radio Free Galisteo is listener supported. Go to www.radiofreegalisteo.com and click on our Patreon support button to become an active supporting member of Radio Free Galisteo. As I was looking at this, the synopsis that that I read, and also the the timeline, and all that, and and the the fact that the students were downtown. I'm I'm recalling pictures of war protesters and construction workers, the hard hats, coming into battle. Was this happening at this period of time, or was that was that an earlier stage in the anti-war protest? Uh, I, I, yeah, it wasn't part of the campus, uh, protests, not at Columbia. And I don't think it was that I can remember, uh, maybe, but I, I do seem to remember hard hats taking issues with, with, uh, protesting students, but that may be, as you say earlier on, yeah. uh, you know, before, before Kent state, the issues were a little muddier. Mm -hmm. Uh, it wasn't quite as clear what was happening. The cold war instilled fear in everyone. We understood the reasons for being in Vietnam. That didn't, doesn't mean they were justifiable reasons or good reasons, but we understood them. But once Kent State happened and then Nixon, LBJ had lied to the American people in 68 when, or not in 68, um, even earlier. He said that he said that basically he would never bomb North Vietnam. And while he was saying that to get elected in September, he was planning the bombing for December. And it was actually being planned. It was proven. And that's why he didn't run again. So uh, with this kind of information and with Nixon, what Nixon did, we started to get smart to the fact that there were other things going on beside just the Cold War. I mean, we were sending boys to their death. And the question was, was it the right thing to do? Did the Vietnamese people have a right to self-determination? What are the atrocities being committed in our name over in Vietnam and other issues? So you know, the, the the ball started rolling and it picked up speed as it went along. You said that in a way this is timely, you know, back then the country was sort of split between pro-war and anti-war and then uh, just a, actually a new burgeoning <clears throat> philosophy that was happening amongst the, the young people. Today, the country seems really split again, but it doesn't seem... Well, how do you see it? I mean, it, it is split, but back back then it was more this idea, this philosophy of freedom that was being touted. And now this philosophy in quotes of freedom is being touted. It's a reason that uh, the, the country is, is in this split state. What what are your thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts. On that. I think you're right. Um I mean, the book address, I think it's important that the book addresses the, some of these points. The Vietnam War basically created this great rift, as you've noticed, as you've mentioned. 
intolerance between the two parties ripped the country apart, just as it's doing now. There's no dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, Biden says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a centrist in general, but Biden says, you know, we're going to heal the nation, but I don't see him healing the whole nation. I see him healing his half of the nation, his mm -hmm. constituency, which is understandable for a politician, but it's not really what the nation needs. The nation needs everyone to be healed and we need to come together on it. I'm not so sure it's going to happen. We'll see what happens. But this book, in any event, the target is a rapprochement where those for and against can discuss now that things have cooled down. It has been 50 years, although if you look at my social media site, there are people arguing. Some people get on there and they're still arguing um, about the Vietnam War. Sure. So it's, it's not an easy thing to do when your emotions and passions are so stirred. But the problems today are eerily mirroring uh, what happened during the Vietnam years, it almost goes to goes back to 440 BC when Thucydides wrote uh, about the Peloponnesian War and he said, history repeats itself. Well, yeah, it's happening again. Yeah. So Vietnam and the intolerance around Vietnam, the individual freedoms, you know, I'm a doctor and I happen to be a lung doctor and an intensive care doctor. And I think the COVID vaccine is probably one of the greatest achievements of humankind. It's not only is it brilliant because it's an RNA vaccine and we're able to do that because of all the research we did in AIDS, but it's also the fact that we could get it to the public so fast, this new mm -hmm. technology mm -hmm. that it has. So I consider to have minimal problems and tremendous benefits. And we're arguing over it. Sure. I believe in this vaccine. But I don't, I am very uncomfortable with the idea that people should be forced to have a vaccine. I think people should be convinced they should have a vaccine. Right. I think that the CDC and the NIH should have done a better job in convincing people with the data that came out that the vaccines work, not only in this country, there are a lot of very good Israeli studies. There are other studies coming out in other nations. Brazil did some studies. I mean, we have data. But there is an infringement, I think, on whether the United States government can force people to have something done with their bodies. Now, the only thing that really the government forces people to do is pay their taxes. And if there's a war, to draft young men. Mm -hmm. That's what happened in Vietnam. So the government forced young men to be drafted. There was an uprising. Now we're forcing people to be vaccinated or at least stressing them heavily to get back. They're losing their jobs, all kinds of bad I, I don't uh, I don't think that's what this country has been founded on. I don't think that's what this country's about. I don't think it's right, but I do think the vaccines are good and the best. I, I tell everyone to get one. I've had three. Yeah. I mean, so there's an echo uh, today, a mirroring of what had happened earlier, and history repeats itself. We could speak about the human condition. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to try and figure that one out. But, uh, <laughs> well, you had brought up the fact that our free personal freedoms being yeah. infringed upon. So that's my best thoughts on it. I think some people may be surprised to hear that coming from a, a former anti-war protester because, you know, it's so stereotypical that, oh, you know, these, <laughs> these lefties, um, but, uh, you're, you're a bit it's different anyway, being that you are a, a VA doctor and, uh, it's more um, complex than just lefty righty stuff. 
you you talked about information and and being more convincing about the vaccine. How do you fight all the misinformation that's swirling around out there right now? How do you get past that to actually get down to the the core truth? Well, we're going way past the serpent papers. And yes, yeah, I'll let you answer that. Then let, let's circle back. I'm not an expert, but let me just say that I do think you're hitting the nail on the head. I think there's a lot of misinformation and I don't know how it's going to be done, but I think we have to get a handle on it. And I think the government has to do a better job. I think initially there was so much politics and finger pointing. The politicians were not, they were interested in hating each other. They weren't interested in solving the problem of COVID and, and disseminating information the way they should have been. So mm -hmm. again, I mean, you know, I work for the government. When you work for the VA, you work for the government. Right. It's frequently one size fits all. And that it's got to be better than that. Right. But anyway, you were saying, let's go back to the serpent. Tell me about the serpent. Well, the serpent is an interesting character. And um, he is, uh, there is a, a, a crypt under St. Paul's Chapel on Columbia's campus, where there has always been a coffee house. Huh. The history of the coffee house is rich with poets. So Jack Kerouac uh, recited there, Allen Ginsberg recited there, they both were Columbia students. And of course, they were pre-hippie hippies. Mm -hmm. They were the beatniks, uh, very similar to the hippies. And I was sort of a hippie back in the day with long hair. And by the way, I was almost shot for my long hair Again, the intolerance. It's like, mm -hmm. what's long hair? So it's long hair, big deal. So they, this basement crypt um, had had a cafe in it, and um, my name for the cafe in the book is the Apocalypse Cafe, and the serpent is a poet who recites and who speaks to. He's an older fellow, and he speaks to the students, and he does it behind a. Uh, a diaphanous, a translucent screen. So his identity is hidden and he's giving advice to the students about the nature of war. And according to uh, one editor who actually was an editor for Hemingway and James Baldwin and uh, Robert, all of Robert Ludlum's books, he actually edited my book as well. I was very lucky to get him. His name is Richard Marrick. He told me that the serpent was extremely effective Ah. book and uh, that's who the character is and it turns and there's a mystery surrounding him you don't know who he is but at the end of the book the mystery like many of the secrets in the book is solved aha okay <laughs> motivation listeners to find out um now as you know you're speaking to us on radio free galisteo which is in galisteo new mexico uh have you ever been through our area well, yes, I have. After the uprising at Columbia and another year, I, I drove a cab in Manhattan out of a garage in Harlem at 135th Street, 10th Avenue, saved my pennies and dimes and nickels. And I hitchhiked across the United States in the summer of 74 from New York to San Francisco, taking a southern route and went through New Mexico, um, landing in Santa Fe and taking a three-day detour in Bandelier National Monument to see the stone lions and the yeah. painted cave. Yeah. <laughs> good, good choice. It was great. It's beautiful out that way. Gorgeous. Well, you're more than welcome to come back. We'll, uh, we'll be happy to, to have you uh, here even in Galisteo, which is just outside of Santa Fe. 
Well, Jeff, as, as we wind up, any, any final thoughts on the Serpent Papers that you want people to know and, and our general condition in the world today? Well, I, I would say that, first of all, the book is dedicated to those who fought the Vietnam War and to those who protested against it. That's how firmly I believe that my generation has to heal itself and come together over this. The rift has been too great and it's been allowed to stand too long. And the protagonist of my book, JB, uh, straddles both ends of that world. He's from a military family. He was expected to go into the military. His best friend volunteers for G Vietnam, but he ends up going to Columbia. And after a much uh, self-introspection, protests against the war and is a participant in the riots uh, in front of Hamilton Hall at Columbia on the Van Am Quad. So uh, I, I feel very strongly in his story, and uh, I can only hope that people listening will find something of interest in it as well. Jeff, where can people get this book? People get this book anywhere uh, books are sold. You can get it from my publisher or through my website, jschnaderauthor.com. Um, that's J-S-C-H-N-A-D-E-R author.com and um, you can get it at Amazon anywhere you care for. Anywhere. Okay. You've been listening to author Jeff Schneider who's written The Serpent Papers and uh, you now know where to get it. We'll have a link to that uh, to his website and to the Amazon link to his book as well. Jeff, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's been, it's been a delight. Thank you. And for Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon.